Good morning. How are ya? Morning, everyone. There we go. All right. No, I wasn't doing the I can't hear you thing. I actually didn't have my microphone on. But thank you for the full-throated greeting. I appreciate it. Um, so great to see you. I'm so, <laughs> I can't even begin to express to you what this feels like to have a full classroom again uh, and to be able to study God's Word in a large group. So thank you all for your willingness to be here. Um, I'm excited to start a new a new study with you. Thank you if you're tuning in online as well. Um, either way, we're glad you're here. You can find the handout at gracedowntown.org docs. So beginning a new study on the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, new study, it'd be good to begin uh, this time together in God's word with a prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for this privilege of being called your children. We thank you for the opportunity to be together in your word. Uh, we thank you for the promises that you give us, uh, that you will send your spirit here among us, that uh, we will grow in, in faith and understanding and wisdom. Um, help us to apply these words into our own lives and make us eager to share uh, these comforting truths with those uh, around us who know you and who, who don't yet know you. Um, Lord, we ask that you bless our time together uh, as a family of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's do some background information on the book of Ecclesiastes. Is life a waste of time? That is going to be the, the title of our lesson today. So first, let's, do, let's jump into the background. The author, does anyone know who the author of Book of Ecclesiastes is? Trish. It is Solomon. Very good. King Solomon is the author. Um, we get a chance to look at, if you're not already open to Ecclesiastes, this would be a good time to do that. Um, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Uh, verses 1 and 2 uh, we'll read this again when we get into it, the first chunk, but the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Um, so if you know some, Bible, some basic Bible history, we, we can figure this out. This is Solomon. My clicker is being unresponsive, slow to respond. Kohelet is uh, the name uh, in Hebrew of this entire book of the Bible. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but it's the word uh, that shows up here in Hebrew for teacher, Kohelet. It has this idea of, of being in an assembly, but being the one who is speaking at the assembly. So um, we've got teacher in front of us here in the NIV. Um, Preacher, if you're a King James enthusiast, 
uh, the preacher is the one who speaks. But you get the picture. This is, this is a representative of the assembly, uh, is what this word means, Kohelet. So, dates for King Solomon. As soon as our clicker catches up, 971 to 930 BC, those are the dates of King Solomon's reign as king. Um, we don't know specifically um, what year or, or what range he wrote uh, the book of Ecclesiastes in, but we can venture some guesses, piecing together some things. Um, do you have any guesses as to uh, what range or, or just in general terms? I'm not asking for a year, but just in general terms, do you know anything about the setting or the background of the book of Ecclesiastes? that might help us to pinpoint from a 40-year reign, might narrow it down a little bit more. It is towards the end of his reign, that's correct. Bob, why do you say towards the end of his reign? Bob, follow up. Why do you say towards the end of his reign? Because I asked Yeah, he definitely is, is uh, speaking from his experience. Um, so I think that's a really good guess that this is to written towards the end of his reign, towards the end of, towards the end, yeah, towards the end of his life. Um, because he's looking backwards intro introspectively, but also from a place that has the benefit of some wisdom and some experience. Um, and, and I think having that concept in mind is going to be key to, uh, to understanding what he's trying to teach us, what God is trying to teach us through, through this book. So this is Solomon who's tried to live life a couple different ways um, and now is giving us the encouragement on the way that he has found uh, is the best. So it seems as you watch through the stories that we have on King Solomon um, that he probably, maybe potentially lost his faith at some point during his, his 40 year reign as the king of Israel. We don't know that for sure, uh, but just the, the um, flavor of this book especially helps us to see that the way that he speaks about life as he was living it on his terms and in his way, um, and just some of the pointed language he uses about that makes you wonder, uh, was this more than just some sins of weakness? Was this more than just getting wrapped up in in the power, uh, it, it seems to me like he maybe has fallen away from the faith. Um, but then what then comes back uh, to faith in Christ and is able to write, or faith in the Messiah, and is able to write a book like Ecclesiastes, um, triumphing the, the joys and the benefit of living your life in Christ rather than um, according to the ways of the world. So yeah, I think we would say this is, this is towards the end of his reign. Okay. Um, so name of the book, 
This is actually, I took this picture this week from, from my Hebrew Bible. Um, and you can see, I told you, Kohelet uh, is, the, is that Hebrew word up there in the corner. It actually has both. Kohelet and then the word Ecclesiastes. Um, there I've got it for you in Greek. Ecclesiastes is a Greek word. Um, it's taken from the uh, Septuagint translation. If you know anything about the Septuagint, it was the Greek version of the Old Testament. Um, so written in about 70 BC, um, or written before Christ, um, called the Septuagint because, excuse, I'm, I'm not sure on the date. The 70 comes in because there were 70 scribes and the legend has it that all 70 of those scribes came out of the translation room with the exact same translation. Uh, no errors, no differences. They were all like photocopies of each other. And that, that's the legend and that was uh, the, the way that the church knew this is from God because, because this was a miracle that there wasn't even uh, a typo in, in any of them. So, but it's, it was the way that the Hebrew people or the Greek speaking people would have access to the Old Testament without having to learn Hebrew. That was the Septuagint. So Ecclesiastes, um, or what we would know as Ecclesiastes. Uh, same concept, we talked about the word Kohelet and how it's the assembly and then the, the assembly person or the person at the front. Um, ecclesia uh, is the Greek word for gathering. It actually becomes the word for church. Um, so there's gathering, and then the ecclesiaste is the, the, the one who is appointed or the one who stands at the front of the gathering. Um, now we, you maybe uh, heard the word ecclesiastic. It means anything to do with the church because now ecclesia, gathering, the communion of saints, that, that all comes from that Greek term. So that's why we have the name of the book, as you know it today, Ecclesiastes, from Hebrew into into Greek, um, Ecclesiastes, from the author, from the teacher. So, the genre of the book, um, maybe you remember this poster from your Lutheran grade school. Um, I was happy to be able to find it because I remember this one. I can zoom in a little bit. Uh, put in the poetry section, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, um, poetical books. Some have argued that um, Ecclesiastes is a mix of poetry and prose. So sometimes the word wisdom literature is, uh, is given as a maybe more suiting, suitable title for, for this section. Think of uh, the wisdom in Job. There's the, the narrative at the first chapter and last chapter, and then it's wisdom or, or what's, the, what's the opposite of wisdom? The anti-wisdom that his friends give him. Um, Psalms has got, has got a lot of wise. Proverbs, obviously, is wisdom. And then Ecclesiastes here, that's the whole point of the book. So poetry, wisdom, literature, I'm not going to mark either one of those wrong on the test. So um, as, long as, you, as long as you understand why it's grouped in um, where it is, then I'll help you find it too. And let's talk a little bit about Hebrew parallelism. One of the features of of uh, Hebrew literature and especially Hebrew poetry or, or wisdom literature um, are these, these figures, these phrases or, or these um, constructions that you find. And sometimes the unfortunate part about a translation is you don't always get to see uh, what, the, what the Hebrew reader, what the Hebrew eyes would see. One of those things um, that's really interesting as you learn translation, um, and we're not, that's not on the screen yet, or it won't be, but 
for the Hebrew mind, the very middle was super important. Like we put the headline at the top of the newspaper article. In Hebrew, they put the headline in the middle. And so you can do some counting and, and find out where is the, but that would jump off the page for the Hebrew writer. So like the book of Job, the very middle, the headline of the book of Job, his confession, I know that my redeemer lives. We like that verse and we like that hymn to sing at Easter and we think it's kind of cool. The Hebrew would recognize that is the theme of the book of Job is I know that my redeemer lives. So sometimes you lose some of those things. Uh, parallelism sometimes comes across in, in the translation, other times not as much. Um, but here I've got a couple examples that I think even in English you can see it. So advancing the thought is one style of Hebrew parallelism. So I grabbed a couple of verses out of the section that's before us. What is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted. Um, just another way of saying the same thing, but it's, um, you maybe say, if you're doing the ABAB thing, you, this would be AA, right? It just says kind of the same thing in the same way. We're heading in the same direction. Um, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Solomon is, is utilizing Hebrew parallelism and, and the norms of Hebrew writing in order to <clears throat> say the same thing twice. Another form of Hebrew parallelism that we'll find is contrast. Um, so, the wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. Uh, here he's saying, this is like A-B, right? So there's, there's a statement here, and he's going to say the same thing, but in the opposite um, in, in the second section. Generations come and go, but the earth remains forever. Uh, another way that there's this parallelism of saying the same thing, but we're going to say it twice in two different ways, one with a positive and one uh, with a negative. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, won't change the meaning any, but you might have a greater appreciation for uh, what the original readers might have uh, been looking at and seeing here. Okay. Any questions on any of the introductory of the book of Ecclesiastes? Welcome, choir members. Glad to have you. All right, meaningless. Let's look at the, the first section. We'll read, I'll read for the sake of the microphone, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll answer a couple of questions on it. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, 
this, this, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. Even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. All right. Meaningless. Let's talk a little bit about this, this theme word, meaningless. There we go. A um, little bit more Hebrew here for you. Um, ha, ha veil is how you say that word. Ha veil. Um, you read from right to left, so it starts uh, right to left. Meaningless is what the uh, English or the NIV translates vanity. Uh, King James, vanity, vanity, um, is kind of what it means. And it really has at its root the word breath. So what is King Solomon trying to tell us as, as he repeats this phrase, meaningless, vanity, breath? Okay, it's nothing. It looks like it's here and then it goes away, right? Okay. Okay. Sure. So, you guys didn't know that you were coming today to an introductory Hebrew class, but you're going to get a chance to translate some Hebrew uh, because you know almost all of the words on this page. All right, so I told you Havel is, is uh, the word for vanity. So Havel, and then the next word is Havelim, which is just the plural. Vanity of vanities, okay? Amer is the word for says. You know Kohelet, says the teacher. Havel, Havelim, vanity of vanities. And then the next word is Hakol, which is all. All is vanity. There you go, you just translated a Hebrew verse. Congratulations. Vanity, yes I am, yes, I'm quite sure. Uh, vanity of vanities. So, you could see here, you don't have to know Hebrew to see which word jumps off the page, right? <laughs> um, and actually it's employing a, a Hebrew mechanism for the superlative. So you know this in a few places, like the holy of holies, uh, that means of all the holy things, this one is the highest. We would say holiest. Um, what would another one be? King of kings is of all of the kings, Jesus is the kingliest. He's the top dog of all the kings. This is the Hebrew superlative. So Solomon is putting the Hebrew superlative here and saying vanity of vanities. Of all the vain things in the world, this is the vainest. The, the worst of them all, the, the hollowest, emptiest, most meaningless of them all. Um, you can see there's a lot packed into a really simple um, Hebrew verse there. Oops, now it's working. Okay. In here, there were two, um, actually, the phrase under the sun showed up twice. A, a similar phrase is coming in the words we're going to read in a little bit in chapter two under the heavens. Um, it becomes a bit of a refrain that Solomon uses. Do you have any idea why? In a venture guess as to why Solomon is talking about um, these things that are happening under the sun? Hmm. 
Ooh, I thought I saw a hand, but it was a, a, a cheek scratch. I guess we won't do the auction thing and, and call. Trish, is that a hand? Okay. Yeah, very well said. I'll say it again so others can hear. Um, under the sun, under the heavens, that's the, the earthly realm. Um, and so he, he talks, anything that's here involved in the earthly realm, it's really got, it's really vanity, right? These, these systems that a wise and intelligent God put into place, right? The, he's talking about the um, hydrological, am I saying that right? System, what's the ecosystem thing with the water? Hydraulic, what? The water system, the water cycle. Uh, he's talking about that. That's a, a genius thing that God put into place in our world. Solomon calls it meaningless. Not because it's not wise or not the act of God or not a blessing or not one of the ways that God keeps the earth together, but because it's, it's just an earthly thing. Uh, the fact that the sun rises and sets and then works its way back down and comes back, uh, I couldn't do that. Pretty awesome that God made it happen and, and makes it happen um, consistently, but Solomon calls it meaningless because it really is just the thing that regulates here on earth. It's, it's just the here, it's just the now, it's, it's just the physical. So the key or a key to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes um, is, uh, I slaved on this graphic here, um, and now the suspense. There it is. Spiritual things are better than the physical world. So when Solomon talks about meaningless things, he's talking about those things that are below, those things that are in the, the earthly realm. Um, we'll see not much of it in the, in the first two chapters, but we'll see that he talks about the real value, the real meaning is in uh, the spiritual things. Things under the sun, under the heavens, not so, so valuable, not so important, especially if you live your life according to them or striving after them. Um, but to be above those things and to be with the one who is above those things, that's what has real meaning. Okay? Generations come and go, but the earth remains forever. React to those words. It's verse 4. David. Very good. Yeah. Any other reactions to, to this verse, verse 4? Stacy. Yep, it's easy to, to be wrapped up in, um, you know, people have always asked the question, like, is this generation the, the, going to be the last one? Because certainly it, it looks like the earth is, uh, is getting worse. And we're seeing all the end times prophecies. Um, and this is the hardest generation to live in. And um, everyone ha is so tunnel vision focused on their own generation uh, as if that's what it's all about. Um, 
that it's easy to slip into this idea like, well, we're really the most important ones. We're really top dog. Um, but here Solomon is saying, no, ah, generations come, generations go. Guess what? The earth sticks around. <laughs> it, it, the earth will be all right when you're gone, um, and uh, you won't be remembered. Any other reactions? I think there's another interesting thing in here. One more? James? So this poetry, this is not literally that the global number come to an end. It is relative to two generations, the people's lifespan. It just keeps going. But it's not, just like meaningless is not meaningless, absolutely no meaning to it. Um, there, there's a limit based on the context here. In the context of scripture, you know that it comes to an end. Right. So this word forever is a Hebrew word that has some flexibility. Um, it can mean, uh, just like on the grade school playground, the word forever has some flexibility, right? Uh, some of the things that are said there don't actually literally mean on into heaven and forever and ever. Uh, it can just mean uh, for a really long time. Um, <laughs> it took forever not a passage that then contradicts the passages about the world ending um, at Judgment Day. So, generations come for their 30 or 40 years, they have their 70 or 80 year lifespan, and then they go, uh, but the earth has a life that's a lot longer than, than a generation, a lot longer than those 70 or 80 years. Um, I found it kind of interesting that he, he I think in an effort to to uh, maximize his point about the meaninglessness of everything that happens here on earth. Um, you know, it's people, we, we're the crown of creation, and, and we can rightly um, call ourselves that. We can celebrate the fact that we um, have been given this earth uh, to, to be a blessing to us. Uh, but even... Uh, people don't last even as long as the earth itself. <laughs> this thing that is here to be lived upon and enjoyed, um, to be a blessing to the generations, um, it lasts even longer than the, than the people do. So um, just to, just to kind of reinforce how meaningless the, the worldly things are, how little value when you don't connect it to a spiritual thing, when you don't connect it to the promises of our God, um, Neither generations nor the earth itself have value apart from God and his plan for both. So I thought that was an interesting um, turn of phrase that, that Solomon puts in here um, to help us to, to recognize even more so his point. Okay, there's nothing new under the sun. That's probably one of the most often... Um, quoted phrases from the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, what do you make of that phrase? Here, take a, with the people in your group at your table, feel free to join up tables if you want. Expand on the point and make some applications to your life today. Because there's good snacks and donuts at Bible class, we're going to be planning more group discussion because those are the times that I get to go have a donut. So, <laughs> discuss amongst yourselves.
All right, there's nothing new under the sun. Who'd like to start us out with sharing uh, what they came up with or, or what was talked about at their table? There's nothing new under the sun. Go ahead. Change some names and some uh, places, and you could have a similar storyline in, in a lot of world history, right? Okay. Who else? Please. Okay. <laughs> Generations come and go. Thought we went over this. No. <laughs> yes. God, God has a plan uh, for us to continue. But yeah, that seems like uh, a lot of things repeating themselves. Okay? Sarah. Yeah, the hardships, natural disasters, all those things have always been and always will be, right? Um, when Jesus announces the signs of the end of the age, he wasn't saying, and I've got to introduce you to these brand new things that the world has not seen yet. Let me tell you, it's called war. It's called famine. Although we just had a brand new thing that no one has seen, that, that like land hurricane that we had, that was, that was new, right? The Durego or whatever that was we had a month ago. That was new. I don't think that's ever happened. Probably has happened before, just not to me. <laughs> Please. Yeah, because the, the other thing that's not new under the sun is that there is sin. Sin has infected the world. Every person that's ever lived has has had that problem of sin. Um, the, curse that, the curses that were announced in the Garden of Eden uh, continue to be true. Uh, painful childbirth, uh, toil under the, in the soil, um, conflict within relationships, all of those things continue. Uh, if we could bring Adam and Eve back and have them talk to us today, they would tell us, yeah, I remember those things. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, because the root problem, is, is the same. Very good. Anyone else, any other tables want to add? Marty. I was thinking of the wide world of sports and the thrill of victory 
Very well said. We even had a Brewer's no-hitter last night, which has happened before because there's nothing new under the sun. Thank you for the, uh, the open door to get that one in there, Marty, with your sports analogy. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Next section. Uh, wisdom, even wisdom is meaningless. I thought this was a striking section. Uh, we'll read verses 12 through 18. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. All right, what is striking about this section of Solomon's book? That even wisdom is meaningless. Please. <laughs> right. He's known for being wise. He's, in fact, we're told he was the wisest man that has ever and will ever live. Um, God gave him that blessing. If uh, you want a good chapter to review, that'll give you a little bit of background and on Solomon. After lunch, read 1 Kings ch chapter 3. That's the account of God and power and all those things because um, he made such a spiritual request. So that's 1 Kings chapter 3. Marty. Hmm. That's a Bible that Grace gave you? That's the, that's the Bible in the cart? Well, we'll have to get some better Bibles in. No. Um, <laughs> I did not catch that note. <laughs> I ability of Bible books. We see that in the New Testament often. Um, I don't feel that there is any reason, though the, though the word Solomon, the name Solomon doesn't show up here. Um, teacher, king of, son of David, king of Jerusalem, and has this special section about wisdom, this introspection of how he lived and what we know about Solomon's life. There's just no question. Um, I, I don't know why there would be a note like that in there other than 
Um, I, I know that the, that accusation is out there, it's floating out there because people want to reduce the, uh, the biblical um, authorship or, or the biblical integrity of, of books, but there's no reason that we have to wonder who this is. So thank you for, for bringing that up. A chasing after the wind, what's the picture there? Sarah. Okay, target that you'll never, you'll never catch the wind, right? <laughs> you can't see it, you don't know where it's going, you don't know when it's gonna start or when it's gonna stop. Um, it's, it's just futile, right? It's just a, 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 right, what would you do with the wind if you got it? I thought this picture was interesting. He's chasing after he's chasing after things that the wind have taken away, uh, but he's looking silly in the process. Um, if he were simply just chasing after the wind, uh, even worse. Marilyn, please. Nothing besides context. So when the word wisdom is used, it's the context around it um, that, that determines what, what are we really talking about. And so here you would apply that same principle and know the context here, uh, this must mean earthly wisdom, right? Um, that's actually coming up later, but Solomon is the one who writes Proverbs, and he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So how can the same guy say wisdom's pointless and then also uh, fearing the Lord is what you need if you really want wisdom? It can't be both meaningless and the goal that you should strive for unless we understand the context in which he's speaking in the two different instances. So great question. Okay, the next section, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Pleasures are deceiving. Now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens. There's that under the heavens phrase. During the few days of their lives, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. 
Nothing was gained under the sun. Okay. Solomon accomplished great things in life. What made them so hollow? Trish. Yeah, making a name for myself, building these great buildings, having these accomplishments, having great gardens, um, getting more workers in the palace, uh, and um, even amassing these harems like the kings of of the day would. Um, You would think those would bring joy, but he is saying here it was all hollow. It was all meaningless. Even the things that I thought would bring joy did not um, because they were under the sun, right? Because they were the earthly things because they were actually things that pulled him away from the truth rather than uh, taking him towards it. What lessons can be learned for our lives from this section? Please. Dormant. wasn't dead, it was sure dormant, right? Um, he had, had uh, been living for himself, chasing after the, everything that this world had to offer, um, everything that his position and power and, and wealth could amass, uh, but it ends up not being for anything. Dave, please. That was the definition of you can't take it with you. Right, right. That's, that's really what he's, see, what he's saying and seeing, right? Can't take it with you. Um, which is what, why the key to understanding the book and, and what Solomon understands is if it's not in a spiritual realm, if it's not something that, that brings me closer to my God, um, then with great caution. Not, he doesn't say you can't have any wealth or you can't have things that bring, bring you joy. Um, but he is saying um, if those things aren't connected as a blessing from the Lord, um, then they are just a chasing after the wind. They are um, not going to be something that is, is good or beneficial. Okay? He's also learned the lesson that one wife is plenty, right? Um, as he talks about... <laughs> I'm just kidding, Trisha. Okay. What lessons can be learned for our lives from this section? As we consider the blessings that we have from God, as we consider... Um, the, Trisha. Okay. Thanksgiving for the earthly blessings that God has given me, but proper perspective, right? And a worldview to recognize stuff is just stuff. Okay. Okay. Understanding that my human nature, which is I won't actually be satisfied by just amassing wealth, or uh, you know, the human nature always wants to say, just over the next hill, that's where happiness lies, right? If I just got fill in the blank, then that's where where I'll be. Uh, but to recognize, no, that's I can find contentment with whatever God's given me uh, because I see it as a blessing from Him. Okay, I'm going to leave the next section for you to read at home. 
Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 16. Uh, we did already talk about the, the last one. Wisdom and folly are, are not that different um, because when it's just earthly wisdom that you're striving after, that really is a foolish errand. Um, it's heavenly wisdom that you want. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. As he writes in the book of Proverbs, um, when there's no connection to God, it, it's all foolishness and meaningless. But when God gives us a connection to him through his word and sacrament, um, then uh, our faith grows and then we have real wisdom. All right, any questions on Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2? All right, closing hymn there, let's sing together. All depends on our possessing God's abundant grace and blessing. Though all earthly wealth depart, they who trust with faith unshaken in their God are not forsaken and their keep a dauntless heart. Many spend their lives in fretting over trifles and in getting things that have no solid ground. I shall strive to win a treasure that will bring me lasting pleasure and that now is seldom found. God be with you till we meet again. Hope you join us next week. Guide Our Decisions is the name of the next unit. Thanks again for joining us.